I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers over at Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's not one of our lore columnists, he's a shaman columnist, but boy does he ever know a lot about lore, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey Joe! Well hey everybody, how's it going? I was just going to ask you that exact same thing. Well I have a surprise good day today, because well, you know... (laughs) Football things happen in my in my city's favor for once, and yeah. <laughs> Which means everybody's going to be real happy in the city later, so I don't have to deal with idiots. I'm good. I'm happy. Look, I'm in Colorado. We're not going to talk about football today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ann. It's just, just not happening. <laughs> Next up is our other lore-focused columnist over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Not bad. I went to a convention yesterday in Edmonton. They're having the Edmonton Entertainment Expo. What so, does that involve exactly? Well, one thing it involved was this really cool, like, they, they have, like, the vendors where all the artists, like, draw stuff. And my wife picked up a really cool print, and the artist who did it does these really cute Overwatch figures. I got a picture of it. I'll probably use it as a cue header or something at some point because they're, like, tiny little Overwatch people that she draws. It, it was actually really cool. Um, like little chibis or something? Kind of like that, but differently done than a chibi, like more stylized. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll eventually put the picture up. I think I tweeted it at one point, but anyway, there was like people in cosplay. One dude was as uh, Reinhardt. Um, there was a dude as. Oh, uh, I love the Reinhardt yeah. cosplayers because they're just gigantic. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a guy in the Fallout Four armor, the T sixty. There were there were people in various other things. Um, per, somebody on stilts was doing Pyramid Head. It was quite creepy, actually. He he put a lot of work into that costume. Uh, you know, there was his and her Geralt's from The Witcher. They they matched perfectly, and they were like t- apparently together. And they had apparently decided as their costumes, they would both go as The Witcher. So that was pretty cool. It was a lot of neat stuff. Um, a lot of comics and you know just entertainment stuff. There's one point over the over the PA. This actually happened. Somebody's like Gene Simmons and his band are here cosplaying as Kiss. To which I responded, Gene Simmons isn't cosplaying. <laughs> he, he is Gene. He Simmons. is Kiss. Yeah, if Gene Simmons is dressed up like somebody from Kiss, unless he's dressed up as somebody who isn't Gene Simmons, he isn't cosplaying. He's just what he does. But yeah, it was the, that was cool. Um, wow. They had they had a Bioware table, but I didn't get to it. Um, just because that they're I, I didn't I missed their panel this year. It was the other. It was on Friday, and I went on Saturday. What so, was their panel about? I don't remember. I have the I have the program downstairs. I don't have it uh, up here. Yeah. But um, Larry Hama, who did the. Uh, 
the G.I. Joe comics back in the 80s was here. A bunch of other people. George Takai was apparently there or had been there at some other point in time. I didn't see him, unfortunately. I was, But the artist alley was really cool. The uh, vendor space was cool. They had a ton of stuff. Um, we we picked up some cool things. We we don't have a ton of money to throw around, but so it's up- sort of like a comic convention. Only everything. It's like comics, video games. Uh, there was board game stuff there. It was it was pretty. It sounds pretty like wild. San Diego Comic Con, only Edmonton scale. Yeah, it was only a few. Like it was only like about twenty thirty thousand people. Not like not like you know Comic Con where like half a million people come through. Ugh. You know, it's it was it's gigantic. Still- but the thing is, is it's the same kind of thing where there's comics, there's video games. Not so much the video games. It's more like comics, TV, movies, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think obviously, you know, when Edmonton is a city that has both Beamdog and and Bioware here, you're going to get both of them out. Like, you're going to get whole- more game stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there was a whole thing about um, Baldur's Gate and stuff, and there was there was a ton of Overwatch merch and a ton of Overwatch cosplayers. Uh, Overwatch is huge now. There was one guy who was there as they were like one guy who was there as like a crusader from Diablo three, and there was one guy as Illidan. And at one point, Illidan and um, trying to think of the it was it was the the not the right Legion. It was the you know the five hundred first Legion, the Star Star Wars cosplayers. Yes, one of them was standing next to Illidan. <laughs> it's like I think three people walked by. I said, "Wrong Legion, guy." Like that's a joke that actually happened. I didn't tell it. Other people oh, were saying, "Oh, that's terrible." So, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time. I mean, I don't do well in crowds. So after a couple hours, I was like, we need to go now. <laughs> you would people. hate the San Diego Comic-Con so yeah. very, very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not big for crowds. But it was, you know, once a year I go out. So there, there you go. That was my once so a year. So that was your obligatory appearance at yeah. some place with a lot of people. All right. One, one person recognized the Blizzard Watch shirt. I should throw that out there. So hi, Steve. Hey, cool. Hi, Steve. Glad you recognized the shirt. Um... So that has nothing to do with anything that we're going to be talking about today, except for maybe the mention of Illidan. But um, even that, there's only like a brief kind of side mention going on here. Blizzard came out with something that was completely... I don't i don't know if you guys were expecting this, but I certainly wasn't. Um, they came out with another audio drama this week. Um, and it's called A Thousand Years of War. And it's the story that <laughs> I know that we here on Lore Watch and also I think in the regular show too, we've been asking for because we've been wanting to hear. We were, we've all been kind of, well, you know, what about the story of Alaria and Turalyon? Like, what have they been doing during this supposed thousand years? How is this? How did this all work out? What about the Army of the Light? How did that come around? That kind of thing. Um, we didn't get all of the questions answered in this, but it very much was focused and centered on Alaria and Turalyon and the whole concept of them being gone for a thousand years for them, whereas it was only like about eh, 30 years or so for us, maybe a little less than that. But um, yeah, because it was like after the second war. So that'd it was be after like... the second war. It was after the dark portal yeah. was closed and everything. Um, so that's like what? That's I like think... year 10. Yeah, I think we're like in uh, right now we're in year 33 or 34 in the regular timeline and zero is when the dark portal opened. So it's been like eh, 20, 30 years, close to closer to 30 years since they disappeared. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So um, let's just get right into this because that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have not actually um, listened to A Thousand Years of War, I would recommend going and listening to it. If you can't listen to it or don't feel like listening to it they also have a pdf document of the story in its entirety available in text format on the same news post so you can just download it and read it if you'd rather read it however 
I was really happy that we got the same narrator back, the guy who did um, Tumas Argeras, because he was really good. And then I was also doubly happy to find out that we have voice actors in this one. They aren't the in-game voice actors, I don't think. Um, but it's actual voice actors doing the voices and the dialogue, which was one did of Did you recognize Locust Walker? No, I did not. I didn't get it's... that far into listening to the audio. I read it. <laughs> well, you've read it. Okay. The vo- voice of Locust Walker is the same guy who does Zevran. <gasps> okay, so I need to finish listening to it. I made it through, I think I'm like about halfway through episode two, but the thing is, is like when I listen to something, it takes a lot longer than me just scanning it with my eyeballs. So that's why I read it as opposed to listening to it. However, I love what I've heard so far. I can't believe Zephyrin's in it. Really? Yeah, it's Locust Walker, and he does a really good sinister voice. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not it's not tremendously different, but it's instead of the jovial, he's very cold and very clinical. It's it's really well done. I, I just got to say, yeah, I, I want to say one that thing. Part yet. For people who have been like giving us this question every week for the past forever, <laughs> uh, if you're asking how can they have spent a thousand years when it's only been like 20, it's please here. listen to this. Yeah, please listen to this because <laughs> the explanation is the most concise explanation i've ever heard for that kind of thing yeah well, you it's know the, really... the, it's also an explanation that we've heard before too which i love like it's it's consistent yeah it's not a new explanation it's just very concise it's, yeah they it's, just sit down and they lay it out and it's, it's really, very and it's much good... it's very much um in line with what we'd heard before and i know i've mentioned this before but if you do the marksman hunter quest line you get yep. alaria's bow and when you go to get her bow the person that sends you through the portal says, be careful out there. Time works differently in the twisting nether. And then um, Verisa makes a comment that says almost the same thing while you're traveling through and going to get the bow. What's interesting is that when you go to find her bow, you're going to a place that's specifically mentioned in this story. So if you are a Mark's Hunter or if you've done the Mark's Hunter quest line, you'll recognize some of the places that are referenced in here, which is pretty great. Um, I almost kind of want to like get another hunter and go back and do it again just to see that portion of it again and see if I can figure out where everybody was actually imprisoned at. <laughs> I also think, you know, I had that same thought actually. Yeah. I wanted to do that the other day. Okay, good. I'm not, I'm not a total dork. <laughs> I, I'm not a warlock player, so I'm not sure about this, but I think Niskara is the planet that they steal. Am I, believe I right so. about that? I believe yes. so. So yeah, it's, it's that same world. It's all the same thing. Um, yeah, so Thousand Years of War starts out, and this is the only part that kind of got me here, right? Because when it starts out, it starts out in a very vague space that Turalyon and Ilaria have found themselves in, and the implication is that it happens right after, like, when they all go diving through the portals and everything. Yeah, that seems to be what they're implying. Okay, the only problem that I have with this, and I'm wondering if it's a little bit of retconning on Blizzard's part, and it could be, and I wouldn't really be like upset about that or anything, because the end of Beyond the Dark Portal has all of them gathered by Honor Hold and looking at the remains of Draenor as transformed yeah, into Outland. So, so it's like... Wait, there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. Okay, well, maybe that's just them kind of like shuffling things a little bit and doing a little bit of retconning, and it's only one little section of that book, so I'm not like mad at it or anything. It was just momentary confusion on my part and probably the part of anybody that follows lore as ridiculously as, as we do. <laughs> yeah, cause I, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone because I read that. I'm like, wait a minute. What? Okay. <laughs> Hold okay. up. <laughs> How are they here if they were there? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's all good. It works. Yeah, it like, works. It does work. Um, 
the other thing that we get introduced to almost almost immediately, it's pretty much right away, is Lothraxian. And he's already with the Army of the Light at that point in time. Um, ha- have you guys done priest or paladin class hall like i are i've done paladin okay so you're familiar with lothraxian yeah i know both i know loth okay we're tight (laughs) (laughs) i'm kind of i find him a really fascinating character because obviously he was part of the burning legion and then said nah i'm gonna go ahead and do do the army of the light thing instead and embrace the light as it were um and I wish we'd gotten more of his backstory with this, but at the same time, the thing that I like about this story is part of his backstory here, though. A little bit, yeah. And the thing that I like about this particular story is that it fills in those pieces that we wanted filled in, but it also leaves enough space where if they want to write more about the further adventures of the Army of the Light, they have room to do that um, if they want to. It's it's an option. And it's one of those things that I'd like to see because I find Lothraxian in particular pretty fascinating. Um, so, yeah, the story starts out with Turalyon having just leapt through or maybe it's been a little while. Who knows? He's gone through this portal that was one of these rifts that was created as Draenor was, you know, succumbing to destruction. Um, Ner'zhul was pulling the planet apart all that stuff and he's just kind of stranded there and he finds Alaria and they're wandering in this place that is Draenor but not Draenor it's kind of like an in-between weird place which I'm assuming is all twisting nether related um I think that Brooks does a really good job here of just describing the otherness of it all without I mean you get the impression that they're kind of like in an echo or something like that I don't know um but I'm gonna let you guys talk about it uh Joe do you want to I'm going to let Rossi go first. Okay, Rossi, why don't you introduce us to this whole Lothraxian showing up and also the main protagonist of the story, which also makes an appearance pretty quickly. It starts out um, with Turalyon and Ilaria. Basically, he he finds her, and then they have what is, quite frankly, almost buddy cop. If buddy cop dialogue took place between people who had a kid together, it would be what these two are. They, they, They snark at each other pretty continuously. I think my favorite line of the whole thing is when Alaria says to Turalyon, if the light lets you die before we get back, I will be very angry with it. And he's, I'll let it know. Um, he just, <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there's a very interesting dryness to their relationship where you can tell they care about each other, but they're not effusive about it. Uh, and there's a great moment uh, after they meet, they meet Lothraxian. He lays out the whole army of the light thing and says, you guys have a destiny. That's why I'm here. And they, you get a sense immediately the two of them are not going to be like typical in their relationship to the Army of the Light. Uh, he turns to, to, to her. She basically is like, you should lure it away to, to Lothraxian. like, you're a commander. You're obviously more important than two possible recruits. It'll follow you. And he doesn't really buy it, but he willingly goes along with it and they separate. And you, you get a sense that he, she knew she wasn't saying the truth and he knew. They all kind of know that they're playing a game here. It's really well done. And then, of course... None of them quite trust each other at that point. Well, she trusts Turalyon and he trusts her. Yeah, but but they don't trust Lothraxian at this point. Yeah, and he isn't quite sure what to make of them because they're not like... Usually people are like, the army of the light, yay! And they're not doing that. And Turalyon's obviously a paladin, so he was expecting, like, you know, deference, but he isn't getting it. It's interesting interchange. Then there's the 
the awesome interchange when after the meeting, Turalyon can't stop literally glowing. Like this isn't like it's like they they took it and made it part of the story where I met somebody who's really great and I'm all happy about it. And they tur- literally made him be glowing with the light. And finally, she's like, "Can you turn that down?" And he's like, "What? You can't handle my radiance." And she's like, "Well, my night vision probably can't handle it." And so that's that's great. They have that, that was that, that was one of the other interesting parts that I liked in that is that Lothraxian Lothraxian may have been a former member of the Burning Legion, but he's with the Army of the Light, and he's been with the Army of the Light for so long that he's several leagues more powerful than Turalyon. And Turalyon yeah, oh yeah. is pretty dang powerful. But right before Lothraxian leaves, he gives he gives Turalyon he basically schools Turalyon and teaches him a bunch of new tricks. And by the end of it all, Turalyon is he's literally glowing with the light, which I thought was pretty great because I'm like, oh, okay. So Lothraxian yeah. is like he's he's several leagues above. Everybody in the Army of the Light is several leagues above where Turalyon is at. Well, yeah, because of, and we find out why later on too. Yeah. But the, the the best part of this whole thing though is they get they temporarily separate, you know, basically doing uh, nighttime stuff, and Ter- then Tyrion comes back and he's walking up to Alaria, and he's like, she's like, says he says something about their child, and she she says, Mione will be fine. And as he comes in close for an embrace, she stabs him right in the freaking neck. And if you weren't paying really close attention and heard that yep. line, it didn't really get it. You'd be incredibly surprised. But there's the great payoff of her going, my son's name is Arator. And uh, they capture this demon that had been stalking them from the beginning. They had noticed it from the beginning that it was somehow hiding from them, that it was stalking them. And the interesting part is that the reason that they sent Lothraxian away was because they thought naturally, okay, Lothraxian is this really strong commander dude. Obviously, it's going after him. No, it wasn't. It was going after the two of them. They were more important for some reason. Yeah, and we get a sense of that from the the interplay between the demon and the two of them, and you find out some very interesting things from that. Uh, I don't, I'm not. There's a there's a lot to probably unpack, and I'll probably miss some of it. But one of the things you find out is the two of them are have a grand destiny, and the Legion wants it stopped, and that comes out in the conversation. Also, the demon can't resist, you know, mocking them with the fact that it will come back. It's that whatever they do to it won't kill it permanently. It's going to come back, it's going to steal their souls, and then it's going to laugh in their son's face before it kills them, and all this other stuff, and yeah. Um, typical demon behavior, I think. No, oh, yeah, I mean, they got to gloat. It's, it's sort of like in their MO. I'm pretty sure, like, when they show up to work the first day and they're given their, like, employee manual, that it says, gloat over heroes whenever possible, so. Absolutely. And that definitely happens. Uh, but, you know, Larry, of course, kills it because she doesn't like that kind of thing there's also another good exchange there sorry i didn't mean to kill it so fast and he's like no it's okay i didn't like it saying our son's name either (laughs) yeah they do have a really interesting interplay that never really fades yeah uh in in the three parts of the of the the audio play they're they're not like i said they're not very effusive with each other but they it's like they've they've gotten past that point of a relationship where you don't know the other person anymore they know each other and they know each other from the beginning to the end. There's never a point where they doubt each other. And that's very much a part of the story is that they don't doubt each other no matter what happens. Um, so, and there's some stuff that, that tests it. Like it really does get tested. But yeah, yeah this, that, that happens that we get to that point and then we're off. I'm not, this is the part that I don't understand. Like they zero shows up and I'm not sure when exactly that show, she shows up 
in relation to this? I, she, I couldn't it, tell. It seems like they kill the demon, and shortly after they kill the demon, they feel the light raining down on them, and then Zira starts talking to them. So it's right after that moment. Um, and Zira's... They even, say, they even say, like, in there, there's that whole line of, you know, the light, Army of Light must have been keeping an eye on them since, you know, Lothraxian disappeared, because even they're, like, it, yeah, so the, soon the afterwards... Says, it yeah. says not an hour after they'd killed the assassin, radiant light silently fell upon them, and then Zira began talking to them. Um, and Zira, of course, is all about the whole destiny thing, which is something that's been reinforced in Legion ever since we met her. She's been all about, oh, we need to find the person with this mighty destiny, and blah blah blah. Well, she brings that right to Alaria and Turalian too, because she's seen their destiny and it involves something called the emerald star there are two points of light in the universe that are supposed to seek out and find this emerald star thing because it's going to spell the end of the burning legion um and what i find interesting here is this is really where we start to see erator mentioned a lot because that's that's one of those kind of nagging points to me that i've had ever since burning crusade even um Erator, his birth, like when was he born? And if he was bef- born before they went through the dark portal, did Turalyon even know about him? Because in Beyond the Dark Portal, when it begins, Alaria wants absolutely nothing to do with Turalyon. She's kept her distance ever since the end of the Second War. And the only reason that she goes back to talk to him again is because Cadgar tells her, look, you need to go tell on what's going on with the dark portal here because it's starting to reopen and we need to do something about it and she goes but she's not particularly happy about it and it's one of those really it's it's a plot point throughout the book um and i think like about halfway through the book the two of them kind of like they finally get over themselves and get back together again much to gadgar's eternal happiness (laughs) Because Cadgar, in that book, Cadgar is just like, would you two just shut up and kiss? Like, that's pretty much... <laughs> Thank God, I don't have to deal with this anymore. <laughs> He's so mad at the two of them because he sees them both being super stubborn and Turalyon's being this lovesick idiot and Alaria's being this, like, she's just being so stone cold and completely, like, out of character for her and he just wants to see his friends make up already. So... A baby isn't mentioned in Beyond the Dark Portal at all. It's not mentioned anywhere in it. What is mentioned in Beyond the Dark Portal is that they go through the Dark Portal and they go in, you know, to the other side. Erator was apparently left behind, but he's never mentioned in the book. So I'm like, is this is this a kid that Alaria had and didn't tell Turalyon about until they got back together again? So he's never actually met his son. Or is this another one of those retcon situations? And again, he's mentioned here. They bring him up here. They talk about him throughout A Thousand Years of War, but well, they never clarify. I thought that, uh, isn't there like that whole thing where like Deneth Trollbane calls him Little Erator? Yes. Like before going through. So like they knew, the, the expedition knew about him before they went through the Dark Portal. Yeah. So like, I feel like this is not necessarily, I don't want to say a full-blown retcon, but sort of like a deepening of that, because one of the, one of the things, and this is just to kind of break from it, I remember talking with 
Blizzard about this years ago before they started really bringing the books in line. Um, and it was Metzen when he was at the lore panel. He said, yeah, we understand the books are sort of like the Wild West. We need to bring them back in line. So before they hit that point, there was a lot of stuff that maybe writers had leeway with that didn't quite coincide with everything. And I think this is sort of their attempt to kind of bring that sort of fill in any gaps that were left behind. Not necessarily retcon, but sort of like fill in the holes. If it that just makes kind sense. of confuses me because, like I said, I really liked Beyond the Dark Portal. It was by... Um... Oh gosh, it was Golden. It's Christy and Aaron. And yeah, Aaron Rosenberg and Christy Golden. They collabed to work on that. And I really liked the book. I like how the book went. I liked how it played out. I thought it was really well written. But there are parts in it now where it's like, well, okay, if they had the kid, then was there not the tension when they went through the dark portal? Does this completely invalidate this entire arc no, from see, that here, novel or I'll, I'll be up front with you i honestly feel like they could have had the kid known they had the kid and mm-hmm. still not been together because i've you know i grew up with my parents doing things like that you doesn't you people have problems in relationships and they can take a long time to sort out i don't i'm not saying that's what it's happened just, it's I'm never saying, it's never mentioned that Turalion has never met whether or not he's ever actually met his son no, it isn't, and it doesn't get mentioned here either. He knows. Well, he knows that he has the son. He knows that Erator exists. See, he wants what, to see Erator. He wants to see him. He wants to be reunited with him. But whether or not they've actually met face to face, or this is somebody that he learned about in like hindsight, they don't get into it. And and see, I mean, I understand sure that it's. I'm, I understand that it's probably not like the hugest plot point in the world to fixate on. But for me. I don't know. It's just trying to put the puzzle pieces together in my head. And there's that one piece that doesn't fit. (laughs) And this is that one piece that doesn't fit. And I wish that somebody would just pipe up and clarify. You know what I mean? Well, the thing, the thing that it's such a minor thing, but they keep referring to, we will see our son again. Right. We will see him again. So it makes me think that at least in, in this discussion of it, I think Trillian has seen him at least as a, a, as an infant before going through the portal at least once. Like and and as, it's a, it's such a minor thing, but it's a it's a driving thing for the character too, which I think is kind of important. Yeah, and I mean when we get to part two, because part one part one is basically these guys lost in that space between worlds, and this assassin is trying to kill them. They find out very little about that assassin per se, um, other than the reason that it's being sent to kill them is because they have some sort of important destiny that they're supposed to fulfill, and Zira shows up lets them know about it, lets them know about the Army of the Light, and offers them the opportunity to join. And they decide that, you know, together they decide, yeah, we need to do this. And one of the last things that Hilaria says before they jump through that portal is, we will see our son again. And it's something that she reinforces, like, throughout the story and probably throughout all of her life with the Army of the Light is... I'm going to keep doing what I have to do because we, I will see my son again. And I know I'll see him again. It's it's not even like a matter of destiny or anything like that. She's just certain that she's going to see Eratora again at some point. Um, but that's the end of part one of the story. And part two starts sometime later. It's been 40 years for Alaria and Turalyon. And it hasn't been anywhere near that long for Azeroth. Okay, um, okay. Went really fast. Another question you guys have been asking us since this patch dropped is explained at this point. Yeah, that's what I was just going to get into I just here. Wanted, I just wanted to yeah. say it because people keep asking me that's about it. That's what I was just going to yeah. say, was that 
one of the other questions that we've been getting asked a lot is how is Turalyon even still alive if it's been a thousand years? Like, how is he even still alive? That's addressed. Part two, boom. First part goes directly into it. And it's actually, um, I'm kind of pleased because it's the thing that we've been kind of proposing to people all along that, that something about being in the army of the light, something about Zira and the Naru and having the light around like that maybe artificially extended Turalyon's life. And it's spelled out here because... Oh, yeah. Turalyon gives himself over and lets the light remake him, quote unquote. Um, and it, the impression that I get here is that this is what Zira was trying to do to Illidan. Mm-hmm. Um, but what she does essentially is, you know, Turalyon is swallowed into the light and he's kind of remade into an eternal warrior, quote unquote. Um and presumably at this point in time, when he takes this on, he becomes immortal, or at least as immortal as anybody gets in World of Warcraft, where if they are left to their own devices, they will live an exceptionally long period of time. They can still die, they can still be killed, but if they don't die, they're going to live forever. So he's perfectly capable of living that thousand years at this point. What there's I find actually, really... There's something I need to bring up here. Um if you know anything about the uh, warrior class order hall, it's full of these figures called Stormforged. Mm-hmm. And the Stormforged are these souls of Vrykul who've been proven worthy, and Odin has lifted them up and put them in these new immortal bodies. He's remade them with the power of he gained from the Titans. Now, that really kind of rung with me when I met when I read the light heard the Lightforged bit. The fact that they're called Lightforged. Oh, yeah. That the light does this to them in much a similar way as to what Odin does to his Rykel followers. Well, the, thing it, is, the thing is, too, it's also the same thing that happens with bodies being replaced by Fel or replaced by Void. Yeah. It's any primal force in Azeroth can apparently be molded into creating immortal shells for these, these souls as vessels, which I think is really interesting. That's all I wanted to say. Okay. Um, am I the only one that was kind of a little bit taken aback by this whole thing? I'm, the things that come up later in the story make it interesting. I I don't know if taken I aback mean, is the word I'd use, but okay, I, I mean, I, was, I, I don't I, care. But I was taken aback by this, like, even during the Illidan cinematic. And we talked about that last show. Um, but the, the thing that kind of unnerved me was the fact that Zero was so benevolently insistent to, towards Illidan. Like, he was trying to turn her down and she would not let him and even tried to force the issue. And so when you get to this part of the story, all I could think about was that. And it was like, you know, when she's sitting there and she's going, you know, the light will grant you wisdom. The light will heal your scars. The light will show you your destiny. I'm sitting here going, but do you really want it to? Because it was kind of creepy when she tried to do that in game. Well, the thing is is that Turalyon wanted it. Yeah, I know. But part of well, me so is like, everybody... should he have taken it? <laughs> well, but I think it's interesting because it, it sort of sets what something we talked about before, too, where Zara is not just like Lithraxian is not used to people not showing deference to like the light at this point. Zara isn't at all because everybody, everybody that's a member of the Army of Light has willingly given themselves over to the light. And this comes up later on, too, in, in the part three, actually, where and not, we'll get to that later, but like. Zara doesn't know how to handle rejection because Zara's not programmed to handle rejection. Yeah. That's not what she's about. She's about, I have a job to do. 
you want me to complete my job because it is best for the universe. So let me do what I need to do. And before Illidan, like apparently there's only been one other person that's really told her no. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just, I think it's just the way that she phrases it. You know, where she says, your old life is past, the light will forge you a new one. And, you know, she goes into the whole thing about the light will grant you wisdom, blah, blah, blah. And I know that Teralion, he's like willingly doing this. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, should he even be doing that? Because from what we saw in that cinematic, that was kind of a disturbing thing that these people are willingly giving themselves over to. That's a little odd. Um, This also... By the way, for people who have been asking, because there have been people that have been asking um, why, when Zira died, why did Turalian's eyes go from that glow back to his usual brown color? And I think it's because Zira was part of that whole connection with the light thing that was being established. Um, she was part of the battery that was fueling all of them, really. So when she died for a minute there, we saw that reflected almost immediately in his face. Now, whether or not that means that Turalyon and the rest of the Lightforged are no longer immortal. That hasn't been specified or anything like that. But to me, that kind of signified that that link had been broken, even if temporarily, um, with her death. So there's that. Uh, the interesting part about this, though, is that Turalyon's doing this thing. So he's in a trance and Hilaria's standing off to the side. And then she actually sees a vision of her son. She sees a vision of Erator. And the implication there seems to be that Erator sees her too. Um, Zero more basically says feels that. her. Yeah, he can feel he's, you. He feels so, her presence. Because yeah. um, what they're looking at, the scene that she's seeing is the statues that are flanking Stormwind's gates. They have just been put up and apparently there's some sort of dedication ceremony going on because Sylvanas is there. This is before the Third War. Um, and her son is there and he's like staring up at the statue of his mother and then he like smiles and reaches up and it's interesting because it she says in here she says he does not know my face which tells me that Erator was really really young when they left him behind like he was he was just a baby like a little baby when they left him behind um which again it ties back to that whole like I said there's that one puzzle piece that doesn't fit and it's Erator and I just I wish that they spell it all out <laughs> I just see it spelled all out if they just spell it all out just somewhere they don't even need to put it in a story just spell it all out on Twitter or something come on Warcraft devs you can do it um I would be happy <laughs> I just like making everything line up in my head and there's one piece that doesn't quite line up and it's Erator which is unfortunate because Erator is actually a pretty fascinating figure in all of this destiny stuff right um, one of the things that we pointed out was that Erator is or well I know we were talking about the whole child of light and shadow thing and the potential of who that person could be I mentioned Erator um, as like a potential possibility just given what we'd seen on Makari but it's even more referenced here mm-hmm. um, when Teralion comes out of his trance he reveals that he too has seen Erator only he's seen a much older version of Erator and Erator is a paladin looking at him um, so they kind of shared that but what they jump into after this is they jump into this whole destiny this bit of destiny that they're supposed to be following. And Alaria, the focus kind of shifts to Alaria here. Um, 
Alaria did some stuff on Makari that, that made people go, huh, I wonder what's going on with this. Um, this is the backstory of all of that, I guess. Because Alaria's kind of... It's not necessarily that she isn't buying into the Kool-Aid so much as she has her own doubts and she kind of wants to well, prove things to herself, I think, almost. I think it's I think it's more than that, though, too, because one of the things with Illyria, and, and this is one thing that they showcase when they shift the focus to her, is that she is very much that ranger general. She is very much that hunter. She doesn't believe in denying yourself access to any weapon that may aid you in your hunt or quarry. Right. And and that that colors everything, every decision she makes. And I think that's actually really interesting because she's one of the few characters we have that are so strong in their convictions that she can do this, that they can do this. And I think that that's kind of an important factor there because I don't think it's necessarily doubt. It's just like, why would I deny myself a weapon in this war? Why well, would she, I not look for every possible way to win so I can go home? There's actually a discussion with Zara right up the beginning, like right after they... We'll just tell it really fast. They're sent on a raid to a Legion world, but when they get to the Legion world, the uh, the place they're raiding is already destroyed, and it's yeah. it's all the all the demons are already dead, and they've been actually pulled into the Nether to be killed. Mm-hmm. The things the things were like, no, we want you really dead. So they're searching through the place, and and Alaria uh, gets jumped by the thing that did it. It's a void creature. And it's basically using void magic to destroy her mind. But as it's using the void magic to destroy her mind, her mind is being effectively opened, flooded with void. She uses the light to kill it. Um, She has one of her light arrows and she basically like smites it with the light and kills it. But since it happened, she has visions that happen to her from the void in her mind that affect everything. And she, she goes to Zara and she says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a ranger. Uh, we, we, I'm a predator. Predators think like they're prey because that's how you catch them. Why shouldn't we use we, the, the Legion are afraid of these things. Why shouldn't we use it against them? And Zara's like, no, the light and the void can have no It's countenance. interesting. There's it's interesting. Nothing. We cannot work together. It's From inter- a Naru, that's real interesting. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. No, I was going to say the visions that she sees because as soon as she's touched by this creature, there's like, there's maybe a split second between where it grabs her and she kills it with the light. But in that split section, in that split second, she has a series of visions. Um, and the first one is of her walking on Argus. And the second one is standing in front of this emerald star and feeling it reach out to her and beg for help. And then the third is her stepping off of a cliff, falling into an infinite darkness, but she's smiling all the way. Like she's peaceful as she's doing it. And it's just that split second, but it's enough that when it comes, when she comes out of it, she's like, what, what was that? What was that? And she asks Lothraxian. She actually goes to Lothraxian first and because Lothraxian is the one when they arrived on that world and they found all the demons dead, Lothraxian, the first thing he said was, this is the shadow's work. Be careful. This is like worse than the Legion. Well, he also explains too, that it was his job way back when. And if you're not familiar with Lothraxian, his job when he was with the Legion was to hunt creatures of the void. So he has an intimate knowledge of this, which makes him a perfect person to talk to. Yeah. So she goes to him and she says, what, what exactly was that? Can you tell me more about the shadow stuff? And he's like, I don't, I don't think that you really want to know about that. And she's like, well, that's a shame. Cause you know, if we could withstand the void's corruption, 
if there are people that could do that, wouldn't they make really powerful allies? And Lothraxian's like, yeah, but you don't want to talk about that where Zira can hear you. And plus, all. he even says, doesn't he even, isn't this when he says, who, this is the first mention of Locust Walker? Yeah. He says, yeah. he says, you know, once you start using shadow, it devours you. And it was almost always a certainty. And she says, almost. And he says, well, there was one, the Locust Walker. And he was like this powerful master of the void, but he was completely free of its grasp from what they could tell. Um, and that the Legion had lost countless lives trying to capture him. And Lothraxian was one of those people that was trying to capture him and almost died. He did not, but he almost died. Or, excuse me, he did kill him. <laughs> he killed him, but when he did it, he pulled he him, dragged out, him. Yeah. He pulled him out of the Twisting Nether to do it. And the reason that he pulled him out of the Nether to do it was because he saw a unique destiny for Lothraxian and that Lothraxian needed to be reborn and that's why he didn't kill Lothraxian in the nether he deliberately spared him in his own kind of twisted way um, and Alaria is kind of intrigued by this but like I said as she inquires about this Lothraxian says yeah you don't want to talk to Zira about this because she's not going to have it she's not going to have any of it and Alaria decides to go do it anyway and she's shut down she is shut down hardcore um I believe, let me see if I can find the, let's see. She says, understand this well, Alaria Windrunner. The light does not treat with the void. There is no alliance to be made with the shadow. It seeks to destroy or enslave every soul in this universe. It wants to consume everything. Um, and she says, make no mistake, Alaria. If you pursue contact with the void, your destiny will fall into ruin. You will lose Turalian, you will lose Erator, you will lose Silvermoon, Azeroth, and everything else you hold dear. The light and the shadow cannot exist together. You already know how to strike down the void, and that's all you need to know. See, and that right there, that statement, that is all you need to know. Like, <laughs> that, that, that right there, if that doesn't make you think that here doesn't know what's best for everybody I, I don't know what else to say to you that's the interesting part too because I don't you guys have all played through Macquarie and all of the storyline there yes, correct I'm up to okay. date so far yep one of the interesting points in Macquarie is that um it's revealed shortly after well okay you take Velen back up to uh the prophet's terrace or excuse me the terrace of the triumvirate and um he kills the one demon or the, excuse me, he was an Eridar, but he became a demon. He kills that guy, right? Just flat out kills him. First, he gives him a, a, a like a brief moment to speak some words and repent, and the dude says nothing. So Velen says, "Okay, well, sorry, bye," and <laughs> just flat out kills him. And as they're walking off, um, Velen and Teralian have this little bit of dialogue where Velen says, "I know what that darkness is. It's it's Lyra. It's Lyra. She's succumbed to the void." And Teralian says, "Wait." Naru succumbed to the void? What? What are you talking about? They're bastions of the light. And Velen, huh. there's like this pause, and then Velen says, Zira did not tell you everything. He literally says there are things she did not want there, you to know. There are mm -hmm. things that Zira did not want you to know. And I'm I've been sitting actually here going, freaking out about that ever since. Yeah, I'm sitting here going, oh, yeah, because she, she kind of makes it a point to do that, right? Every time she talks to you, and it kind of falls back to us, 
our characters and when we first run into Light's heart and when Light's heart is doing that whole brain melding thingy and showing us Illidan's past and everything just because Zira is talking to us doesn't mean that Zira is being entirely truthful or rather she is being truthful but it doesn't mean that she's giving us the entirety of the truth no I've said it from the beginning uh, Zira is manipulating everybody she talks to oh yeah and she has been from the start. She's telling and people exactly as much as they need to know and nothing more. I think we need to actually talk about something that comes up once. We're, we're, we're like not even we're like well past the halfway mark here. and We haven't even gotten like halfway through this thing. And there's some stuff that relates to this that comes much later. Yeah. So um, probably should blow through all of it as Go fast ahead. as possible. Go ahead. Uh, basically, after that bit with Zera, Alaria and Trillian are still with the Army of the Light. Ilaria's having her doubts. Finally, she comes up with, during the, the uh, after, and keep in mind, it's been for them hundreds of years. It's like five, six hundred years later. They the, uh, the Legion is now focusing on Outland because the Alliance has just pushed their way through the Dark Portal. AKA, and, the Burning yeah. Crusade expansion <clears throat> yeah. is happening. Burning Crusade expansion is happening. Uh, and they're like, okay, the, the, the Legion's focus is here. This is the only time we're ever going to get to go to Argus. Because they're not, their defenses are not fo- fixated on Argus. They're trying to penetrate here. They've got like legion forces outside the Black Temple. So they're, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So and and Illyria is like, okay, I want to go by myself because she had wanted to pursue her shadow visions. Obviously, Zara doesn't go for it, and, and Tyrion goes with her. The two of them get there. Uh, it's a, it's very dangerous. What's even interesting? Then, wait, let me interrupt there because. The reason that Zira is not behind this is because in Zira's vision, both points of light go to Argus. The two of them are supposed to go. In Illyria's yeah. vision, it's just her. So there's like a discrepancy there. Oh, there's a, that, a that few explained. discrepancies there, yeah. Yeah. That gets but, explained. So so Turalyon goes with her, even though she doesn't want him to go with her. Go ahead, Rossi. I'm sorry. They They get there. They take a pod down, basically. They get there, and they're running through the place trying to keep hidden. And eventually they find a place that is Titan in construction. That is not anything like they've seen before. It's not like any of the Legion architecture. It's not like any Draenei architecture. Or and they're anything very like surprised about this. Yeah. And Illyria just barely knows what the Titans are. Like she kind of very vaguely knows that there are structures like that. So effectively it's basically something like Aldemon that she's seen. Because that's the only one she would have seen. Um, but she, she kind of knows it's Titan. Or she Temple knows a of Alun. Mm, she wouldn't have seen a temple of alone. It's Hilaria we're talking about. Uh, when was she born? Uh, she never saw. She was Kalimdor a high elf. Period. She wasn't. She wasn't one never, of the. Yeah, none of the Kalimdor stuff. She would not have had. She was not born when the uh, the Sundering took place. She's much later. So yeah, she would have no idea about Darnassus or had never seen any of that stuff. But whatever it is, she knows it's Titan. She very vaguely knows that. Oh, I, I've heard of this. That's so strange. What is it doing here? And you never find out exactly what it's doing there, but what you do find out is what the Emerald Star is, because they get its attention. It notices them. And, and then it, it starts, starts screaming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it screams first into her brain, and it just hits her with its entire, like, you know, history in one moment. And she, like, collapses. And Tarion's like, Alaria, what happened? What happened? And then it notices him. And so it starts doing the same thing to him. And Hilaria's finally like, you know, we, 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 what is it? And they figure out that it's, they called it the Emerald Star because when they're looking at it, it's this blindingly brilliant thing surrounded in fell. The fell is chaining it, effectively torturing it. And there's a moment here where you find out that 
the reason that not all worlds have world souls is because the world souls exist before the worlds do. Mm-hmm. Titans pre the Titan soul predates the planet. The planet forms around it like a pearl around an irritant. The the planet forms to protect and safeguard the soul within it. Not all planets form that way. Thus, not all planets have world souls. Yeah, there's a anyway. section here where she's seeing it, and it says. It was energy spinning out into the cosmos. It found warmth near a sun and a world formed around it to protect it as it grew. Generations of life lived and died upon it. It was betrayed. It was bound by something powerful. Pain, pain, it hurt so much. Its only solace lay within its dream. They enslaved worlds. They burned worlds. They used its strength to revive their fallen souls. It hurt so much. They found another. It was much more powerful. They wanted to claim it, too. Then they would be unstoppable. It screamed into the cosmos for help. Two children answered the call. Two bright lights. Two bright lights from Azeroth, a world that was like Argus. Yeah, so that's the moment where Turalyon and Alaria run into the world soul. And this is the moment where she realizes that her vision was different. Like, why did only I see this? Why did I only I get the full... Thing from it and not to rally in. and then they they're like we got to go because the entire burning legion is like why is the soul screaming like, when, you know the world soul is screaming why is that screaming so they try to get back to their pod but they can't the pod is completely surrounded by demons um hundreds deep they know there's no chance of them getting out but they figure well but we there has killed. to be a way for them to get out because zira said that they escape and they saw mm-hmm. themselves escaping, and they knew that they were going to go see Erator again. So there had to be a way out, and Alaria yeah. found it. Which was interesting that too that Zira like not only mentioned that, but did mention that she doesn't see how. It's yeah. like yeah. that part is shrouded from her. And the the thing is, as they're fighting their way through the demons, it's you know there's this really great moment in the play where like the the narrator is really selling this, where he's like, it still wasn't enough. As they're like, they're destroying demons left and right. They are like, you know, killing them as fast as they can, punching through their lines, but they're getting swallowed up and they're they're soon going to be surrounded. And she looks over like the one pack of demons as it comes in. She literally shoots around Turalyon to kill some and she sees the Eridar sorcerers coming in and they've got these fell chains and inquisitors with them and they're going to bind them. They're going to get captured. And that's not what she saw. That's not her vision, but it's going to happen and there doesn't seem to be anything she can do about it. She finally realizes, I can't do anything about it unless I use the void. And she does, because that is the only way it can work. And it's really fascinating. Well, because this is the moment where Turalyon's faith is tested. This is the moment where everything changes. She basically destroys the, the demons around them with the void. There's an interesting line before that happens, though, and I think it's kind of important, too, to what happens later on. It is, you know, this fate has been shrouded from Zara. Why? Why has she not seen this? Why hasn't, why hadn't Torellian seen the vision from the world soul? Why? All went quiet within Alaria's mind. The answer came out as a shout, but as a whisper from a voice she had not heard before, because they are not free. And I love that. I love that because it, it, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's this interesting way to think about it. And we've mentioned this before, and it's a question we've, We've posed, are those who follow the light truly free? Somebody doesn't think so. And I think that's so important because it, it colors everything else that comes after that. Yeah, but there, I do feel like there's more to be said about that when we get a little further. She uses the void to basically create a portal and she drags Turalyon through it whether or not he wants to go. And it, it almost kills him because he's so suffused with the light that he can barely bear the touch of the void. Like it's, it's excruciatingly painful for him. Uh, and he is utterly stunned when he sees her use the void. And he's like, you know, we can fix this. We can, Zara can forgive you and we can get you fixed up. And she's like, no, 
you don't understand. This is what I'm going to do. This is my path. Um, and this is where this is where the play gets really interesting because they separate at this point. Like she leaves, she gets him back. She gets him someplace safe, and then she leaves. Um, she doesn't go back to to deal with Zera or the Army of the Light. Well, and she's, I think she's seeks... aware that if she goes back to Zera at this point, she's as good oh, as yeah. dead. Oh yeah, absolutely. She knows. Um, but it really makes the third part the really the third one is basically 500 years after this. Um, and they, so they're separated for 500 years. They're, they're separated for as long as they're together while he basically continues on with the army of the light and she's pursuing the locust Walker. When you, she finally does find locust Walker on Niskara. It's never clear to me if she actually, like if he's really captured, like they act like he's captured, but it's never clear to me if he really was captured or if he deliberately let them catch him so he could meet Alaria because he never feels like he's in any particular danger. And there's a whole bit where he, like she's in there with him and he's like, well, let's see what you can learn. Do you and think he that, he, they, that he could have gotten out like at any point in time? Considering that he does basically get out at any point in time, like she she uses what he teaches her to blow up the cage. Like when she gets she gets taken in by the interrogation, the uh, the Inquisitor, Inquisitor tortures her for a while and is being smug. But they've he's been deliberately been so lulled into a sense of superiority that he shows her the the soul stone that the demon that they originally fought is going to have her soul in that they're going to give her soul to that demon just as, you know, to, you know, as a punishment, unless she talks and he's gloating and they make a real point about how he was so confident. He didn't bring anybody down. And then she basically kills him and blows up Locust Walker's cage with one magic at one time. And he taught it to her. So there's no reason he couldn't have got out. He knew the magic that she used to free him. He taught it to her. Okay. And he's like, in a, the only reason that he might even have been like discomfited is that he doesn't have his wrappings. So he's a pure mass of energy at that point. He's, he doesn't have any of the, the bindings to make him look even semi-humanoid. But considering that doesn't stop him from opening a giant void to the, sh- to the void, like he takes her right into the void after this meeting. I don't feel like that guy was being held back particularly much. I feel like he was definitely like, oh, let's see what they want. Let's see what happens. I haven't met this woman yet. She's been chasing me for 500 years. I guess it's time we finally meet. So that's, they have that meeting. Meanwhile, uh, L- L- I want to say L- Lothraxian, but I don't mean that. No, Lothraxian was there. Turalyon and Lothraxian end up on Argus again because the, the uh, Legionists since put barriers around the planet so that the uh, Army of the Light can't just port in. And they're trying to break them because if they can break them, they can get full access to the planet. They can keep their raids up, yeah. yeah it doesn't work. They, they're getting swamped. But, so while Alaria has been imprisoned and or hunting down the Locust Walker and or all this other stuff, the Army of the Light has gone on and they are still fighting. Yeah, and there's a really interesting moment here where it's kind of contradictory because we've seen demons die several times uh, in the nether and still getting to come back. But here they say that demons, when they die in the nether, absolutely won't. In Argus counts because they, they use the light to lure them in. And then they have a couple paladins waiting to basically just erupt pure light on them when they get to the right place and kill them. It kills one of the two paladins and hurts the other one. But they pull it off and kill a whole bunch of demons. But they realize we can't break the barriers. So we have to retreat. We have to get to our pod and get out of here. When they do, the pod is, doesn't close the portal right away and there's some you know, problem with it. And they're like, what, what happened? But they don't figure it out. Turns out it was the demon from the very first uh, part of the audio play. From their first sn- encounter. Yep. Who has snuck aboard the ship 
and now he is hunting Turalyon on the ship. Meanwhile, cut back to Alaria, she and Locus Walker are doing their training, and this is to me the most fascinating part of the whole thing because this is where you get the Void's perspective. Locus Walker's like, you want to learn Void magic and retain your sanity? All right, I will. I'll open up a portal and let you experience it. I'll let you feel the Void. This is going to be exactly what the Void is like, and. There's three really good moments here. There's the first moment where where Alaria realizes that the nature of the light and the void, how how different they are, and that the light sees one true thing and believes that it must be the only true destiny. The the void sees a million false things and thinks they could all be true, and that's why they're so opposed. Uh, the light wants one thing to happen. The void doesn't care as long as anything happens. And, I sort of love that, actually, because that yeah. explains so many characters that have fallen to, like, quote unquote, madness over the years when they've touched the void. It's because they it's because see they've seen that every, path as true. Yeah, they've seen every possibility of every possible future of every possible point in existence. Mm-hmm. And it's all true. But if it's all true, it can't all be true because some of it would negate the other you would think and that's where you start like yeah and the shadow you start arguing want. that point to yourself and that's where you start going crazy and the best part about that is the how she works it out is that she sees one possible future where she kills arator and she knows no i don't care what happens i don't care what the future holds i don't care if i fall to madness i don't care how evil i become i'll never hurt arator i'd let him kill me before I let him, before I hurt him. There's a really good quote in here that, that kind of like encapsulates what she's doing. Um, and it says, as she swam in the shadow, all these visions seemed true at first. Slowly, she began to see the difference between the shadow's memories, the shadow's plans, and the shadow's desires. And from that destiny, she saw what the light could not. She saw what even the shadow could not, because yes, it was just as blind. Yeah, the the shadow's problem is that it wants... It basically wants everything and therefore nothing, whereas the light wants one true thing and won't countenance anything else. And there's a great bit, an absolutely great bit in there. I mean, maybe it's a little earlier and you can read it. Um, there's the part where the light is being depicted from the point of view of the shadow as these unstoppable light monsters that burn everything. It doesn't <laughs> yes. fit there. She yeah, saw the are... light moving through the cosmos like a ravenous predator. She saw it touch the minds of Azeroth's mortals, a touch that corrupted them forever. She saw generations live and die in invisible chains, bound to a force that granted them fleeting moments of peace in exchange for absolute obedience. Yeah, and it's... This is like every tinfoil hat that I've ever wrote about the Naru being <laughs> evil, <laughs> like in one paragraph. <laughs> and what's really great about it is that it's not any false, any more false than the light's view of the shadow, but it's, it's not. not any more true. It's not any more true either. It's just a possibility. The shadow is just as blind to the way the light works as the light is to the way the shadow works. They're that antithetical to each other. They don't understand each other. The shadow, the void lords are not the whole of shadow. They're beings that exist within it, but they're not all of it because by necessity, the shadow has to be everything. It has to have every possible potential aspect possible. The shadow is everything you don't see. When the light comes along, light makes illumination, light shows you something. The shadow is all those possibilities that you don't see. That's really this great, great moment. all those things lurking in the darkness. Yeah, everything you don't know. 
And that's what's perfect about this moment. She finally understands that they don't see each other. They don't know each other. There's Therefore, this... they can't they can't imagine each other's like the reason Zara didn't know how they'd get off the planet was because the shadow did. There's this um, there's this kind of school of thought that I've subscribed to over the years where there are three different aspects of knowledge out there in the world. And there's probably more than that, but we're talking broad terms here, right? There's the stuff that you know with absolute certainty. It's the stuff that you've studied. It's the stuff that you've learned and you know it, right? And then there's the stuff that you don't know. And but you know that you that's don't know. The stu- no, let me, let me continue here. That's the stuff that, like, say, uh, you were in high school and you could choose to study Spanish or French. You decided to go with Spanish. So you don't know French, but you know that you don't know French, right? It's right there. Because you had that choice and you made the other choice. So you know that you don't know that thing. The third one is way more out there and crazy. And it's the stuff that you don't know that you don't know. It's it's the possibilities that you haven't even considered as possibilities. It's the stuff that's like completely out of your sphere of existence as far as that goes. And it, to me, it feels like the light and the void and the interplay between the light and the void they kind of echo these sort of schools of thought. You know what I mean? Because the light is everything that you know. It gives you everything that you know, and you know that you know it. The shadow gives you all of that stuff that you didn't know you didn't know, and in between it, there's there's something to be gleaned from that. And that's what Ilaria is pulling from, is that overlap between the two. It reminds me almost, and, and I don't know if Rossi will agree with me on this or not, but it reminds me almost of the old depiction of the Nephilim from Diablo. Oh God! Uh, pulling from the the side of heaven and the side of hell. It's where, almost exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. It, you that, are that, Anu I, and Tathamet. You are exactly that Tathamet represented, and you, that's why the Nephilim and Diablo are so powerful. They and that's why we're so stuff. Yeah, you can do. And that's why stuff. we're powerful as player characters. We exist in between the two. And it's really interesting because Alaria here, she really embodies what it's like to be using something, but not used by it. You're, because... you're using something as a tool. You're not letting that thing use you. And when she, because she took the uh, soul stone off the demon when she killed it to free uh, herself and Locust Walker, she sees it light up. And she, in that moment, she realizes the demon has found Turalyon and is, and is killing him. Is using the soul stone on And it's him. not just that. It's not just that. It's that as she's exploring all of this, the locust walker tells her, okay, you're ready. You're ready to embrace the void. Go ahead and go ahead and do it because your mind will be your own. And she has this thought where she's like, yes, she's ready, but it's not time. Mm-hmm. It's not time yet. And she deliberately pulls herself out of everything while she has time to escape from it. And that's and when he doesn't she notices. Yeah. yeah, the locust yeah. walker is like, what are you doing? And she's like, it's not, it's not my time yet. Wait, no, Turalyon's in danger. He's going to die. <laughs> yeah. and- because the two of them are still linked. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what Zira said, the two of them are still linked together. There are bonds that, that transcend that of the light, and Zira just what's, can't understand that. What's really fascinating, too, is, I mean... Let's let's try and get through what happened really fast. Uh, she she goes to the ship. She shows up. Terralian's been poisoned with a poison that keeps him from using the light or even moving. So is Lethraxian. Uh, they're both basically helpless. The demon is very slowly pulling out Terralian's soul. And she shows up, and man, she destroys that guy methodically. Just uh, absolute 
utter wrath. It was it was yeah. fantastic. Um, the best part is when she hurts him really bad and he's trying to flee because he's in the nether. He knows he's in the nether. He knows he can be destroyed there. And he's trying to flee and she finds him. And like there's this really great moment where she's like he's trying to say something and she's like says, you should never have threatened my son. And then destroys him. Yeah, and at the yeah. at, at the end of it, there she she tells him flat out. She's like, "This is the easy end. I could have given you to the masters of the void, but they might have turned you, and I would be done with this." Yeah, and she just flat out obliterates the guy, just just yeah. flat out destroys him. And she's there on the ship with Turalyon, and the two of them are there again. And Zira is also there, and she is not nope. happy. She is she so is very not displeased. Happy. So not happy at all. She's all like, I told you what would happen if you did this. Well, I guess you're going to be in prison now. Go to your no, room. No, 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 no. You're skipping here. Okay, she fine. does not say she's going to imprison her. She's going to kill her. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, and this is what's fascinating to me because you guys were talking before about how the Light Forged give themselves over to the Light. Both Turalyon and Lothraxian stand up for her. Yeah. They both say, Zera, please. They don't, don't try and argue with her. They don't try and talk her out of it. They know that's futile. They just simply say, please don't do this. And both of them do. The Thraxian straight up says, I know people who are lost. I know people who are too far gone. You're not that. And Turalyon's just like, you know, no, I love her. I'll always trust her. It's no, I won't turn on her. I, so there's, that's to me there's one. There's one line in here that um, really struck me too, um, where Turalyon Zira's just going to flat out destroy her and it says and yet despite her anger Zira hesitated and Turalyon turns to her and he just begs her he's like Zira don't harm her and the line says Zira's merciless regard examined his soul and then turned back to the woman he loved <laughs> and I'm like yeah no merciless regard is apt there because she has yeah. she she's She's flat out prepared to kill Ilaria for what Ilaria has done, regardless of why she did it, regardless of anything else. She will not tolerate this. Um, I find it fascinating here because obviously this is the point where Ilaria is imprisoned. And it's referenced when we first go to Argus. Uh, there's an offhand comment about Ilaria being imprisoned. That's what this story is. is mm-hmm. it's, it's that tale. Um, Zira what I find is interesting, obviously though... Zira is obviously not having anything to do with Shadow whatsoever, and yet as player characters, um, Shadow priests, Shadow priests are not looked upon any differently when you go to Argus. Um, they're not. Zira says nothing in your head that suggests that perhaps you should be looking a different direction. Um, that's the only because discrepancy that I see. Well, and, and maybe that's you're... it. You're not you're not part of that prophecy according to her. That's what I got out of it. Like none of the player characters really are. We're 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 just a means for us to give her at this point Illidan. And that's what I got out of it. This is where I agree with Rossi at the very beginning, where Zara's been doing nothing but manipulating us. Yeah. We're not important at the end of the day. And I think that's really what it boils down to is like you entreat with the shadow, that's fine. You're gonna die anyway at some point when I'm done dealing with the Legion, because the army of light will then turn its attention to you. You're a non issue for me. But you know this planet and I'm not in my real body, so I need you to go get this thing for me. So I'm gonna play nice for right now. Because at the same point too, like she deals with shaman, she deals with death knights, she deals with all these 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 classes that not necessarily are 100% opposed to light. Some of them are, but don't necessarily care about the light. Because as a shaman, 
we don't care about the light. We got other things to worry about. We got like fire elementals and and, and air elementals that we got to go and treat with and make sure that they're not going to go do anything stupid. Light, yeah, okay, that's great. You 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 do your thing. But like we still, she still deals with us, even though we don't show her any deference. We don't care. So it's it's an interesting thing to me to see that because I think that's what it boils down to. We are inconsequential in her grand scheme. Yeah, I'm gonna just say one thing here that we really might want to think about. Zera is a Naru. She's the prime Naru. One of the first created, yes. We know that she's hiding things about the Naru life cycle from Turalyon. And the other and members that, of the Army of Light, yeah. That thing that she's hiding from them is that she has a shadow side. Mm-hmm. Well, she will eventually go into the shadow. I want you to talk now, so I'm going to shut up, Ian. Well, okay. What I want to briefly sum up here, because I do want to get into a discussion about that and other things. We're going over time here. Do you guys mind? Oh, not really. We're going over time here. We're good? Okay, good. Because I could talk about this for like six hours. We're not going to because I do have dinner to get to. But (laughs) Um, there there was a monumental amount of stuff here. So let's let's just kind of sum up the key points that we pull from this, right? Zira says flat out that the light and the void cannot coexist. There's no way. And yet, at the same time, when we run into them on Argus, Alaria and Turalyon are very much coexisting, very much in love, very much still a couple, very much looking forward to seeing their son, and they do see their son again. Um, there's also just the whole aspect of light and shadow itself this idea that the light sees one true path whereas the shadow sees all paths and assumes them as true and that there's kind of a point in the middle there that perhaps we as citizens of Azeroth or whatever you want to call us are straddling um that we are kind of like the crux and the balance between the two uh, it's i i pointed this out i can't remember if it was i think it was on the main show or something i said if you hold your hand out in front of you um just hold it like parallel to the ground right one side of your hand is going to be lit by whatever ambient light is around the other side of your hand is going to be dark because that's the shadow so you've got your light you've got your shadow it's almost like we as citizens of Azeroth we are the hand that's just sort of sitting in between the two and we can move it all the way up into the light if we want to or we can move it all we can go sit in a dark room if we want to it's our choice what I find interesting here is that we are cognizant of the fact that we have that choice it's our free will what we have been presented with repeatedly throughout World of Warcraft, and I mean, this is, goes back like all the way back to Wrath of the Lich King when we first run into, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name now. Ravenbrook? No, the star guy in Old War. Oh, Algalon. Algalon. Okay, when we run into Algalon, Algalon is taken aback by us because we have that free will. Because mm-hmm. when given a choice, we don't just accept whatever fate has been handed to us. We fight him to save ourselves. And this seems like something kind of extraordinary to him, kind of out of the ordinary. It's a thing that should not be. And yet here we are. It's one of those things that is reflected later on when Zira meets Illidan and says, here we go, going to give you your destiny. And Illidan says, no, she doesn't know how to, like, it does not compute. Well, it's really interesting because if we go back to the origins of most races on Azeroth, right? Um, either they're native to it or they're Titan forged or they're, you know, from another world. And the ones that come from another world, like orcs, you know, orcs seem to have been kind of Titan forged in their own weird way. And had like a similar kind of exposure to life, well, turning them into something else. From they're descended yeah, the from Ron. that creature that Agrimar created. So yeah, and in their own weird way. And then they got fleshied by the the 
primals, the, the spores of them as they were exposed to them. It's very similar to the curse of flesh. It seems like a part of the, like the, the nature of being a, a mortal being is that you get to make a choice. You're not permanent. You're not enduring. And therefore you only have so much time to live. And therefore you get to make these choices. And a lot of the light and shadows need to be about taking that away from you. As does fell in a lot in a I feel vast like way. a lot of the conflicts that we run into, like these cosmic battles and things like that, are really a matter of creatures that are so far beyond our own scope of understanding, or excuse me, their scope of understanding is so far beyond anything that it just doesn't include us. Like, they don't think about the fact that... They think in terms of destiny. They think in terms of circles. They think in terms of things well, that must happen because fate says that it must happen. And yet right here there. we are. We're these little dust motes. We're little specks in the universe that are just kind of getting in there and messing everything up and saying, no, that's not how it has to happen. <laughs> well, plus, I mean, if you look at the, one of the things they say in this, that the Legion has changed the destiny of the universe... Mm-hmm. The Destiny Universe was was always going to be the clash between light and shadow, light and void. That was the destiny of the universe. That was what the Naru and the old gods and everybody wanted: light and shadow clashing. That's that's what made the universe. But Fell arose from that. The Fell that in, inhabits the Nether is created from the total annihilation of light and shadow. Those two forces, when they come together and destroy each other, create fell. That's why you can get fell out of burning souls, because souls are little tiny points of light. Um, and it's really this fascinating bit. You think about it. Sargeras came along and mutated the universe. He changed its direction. That's which was always his intention, right? Yeah. Like, that was yeah. always his intention. This is, so, um, this is actually uh, – did you read the tinfoil hat that I did on Monday, Rossi? Last Monday? The one you did last Monday? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Um, did you, Joe? Yes. Okay. My my whole thing in that tinfoil hat was that perhaps what has happened here, all of this stuff that has transpired, has happened because of what Sargeras did. And I don't mean like creating the Burning Legion. I mean that he, as a creature forged mostly out of light, was just, you know, messing around, doing his best to make sure that the light went out there and it did its thing and whatnot. And then all of a sudden he saw a world that was possessed by the void and went, whoa, no, that's bad. We need that bad thing not to happen. And I feel like Sargeras was the first to exhibit any kind of free will. See, I don't know if he did. That's an interesting yeah. point, but I don't know if he did. I honestly feel like he didn't the see it is... and just accept it as, oh, this is a thing that should this is this is just a thing that happens. He looked but, at it and said, this is a thing that should not be. I need to do something about it. But I feel like I, I feel like that was more in his nature of a tight as a titan than anything else, because what is void if not like like we've we've talked about it already in the show. It is all things, right? It's chaos. It is it is it li- literally everything, every possibility, everything that you want to happen happens. And that that is, is in the simplistic version, that is the shadow. A titan is a creature of order. It looks at this thing that's pure chaos and is like, I need to bring order to this. I don't necessarily think it was free will. I think he was just it's reacting just, how he normally would. No, because here's here's the part that that like fits into that, right? He looks at this thing and he says, this should not be. And he destroys it. 
and then he goes back to the Titans. He goes back to the Pantheon and he says, I destroyed this thing because this thing was happening and it was really bad and we need to not let this thing happen. And how did the Pantheon react? No, it's okay. We can fix it. We just put it back in order again. It's fine. They're like, they're talking about going on on their little predestined path of creating order and fixing things in the universe. And they're just assuming, no, we can do that. We'll we'll just fix it because that's what we do. It's okay if it exists. We'll we'll just make it better. We'll make it right again. And Sargeras is like, no, you guys don't understand. We can't make this thing right. It was like, if it goes too far, th- bad things are gonna. Ha- we need to we need to start over, guys. We just need to like stop the record from playing and and go back to the beginning and start up. Like we need to take that record off the record player, like smash it to pieces and go get a new one because this one this is a bad record. <laughs> <laughs> but I almost feel like that's his nature as a warrior, though, too, because that was what he, he was essentially designated for. Or is it because there was something more to Sargeras? I, that's the part that's kind of sticking with me here, is that out of all of the Pantheon, out of all of these creatures throughout mm-hmm. existence, Sargeras was the only one that looked at that thing and said, wait, something's not right. We need to do something about it. And he was here's, the one that the stepped thing. outside of that predetermined list uh the to-do list of how to fix stuff and came up with something so completely out of left field that when he created the burning legion it messed everything up actually i don't think it was when he created the burning legion and i don't think it was when he destroyed that void planet either because we're missing one thing he did first what and i wrote about antorus this week and how it doesn't make sense about how it okay you're not going to talk about the end of antorus or anything here are no, you? no 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 okay no, good no. I'm talking about the purpose of Antorus doesn't make sense and stuff we've already been told. Like we're told even in this radio play several times that the demons are they use the soul of the uh, of Argus to recreate themselves. But they couldn't have been using the soul of Argus to recreate themselves before Sargeras came to, Ar- to Argus. And yet they were already immortal and regenerating the Twisting Nether back then because he had to make Mardoom. That's right. He made Mardoom to stop them. Because he couldn't kill them. So where were tr- they pulling the energy from to regenerate if it wasn't from... Exact. I don't think... I think Mardoom... Like Ar- we'll get into that a little bit. But he made Mardoom because Mardoom was the first time he came upon something that he couldn't understand. He came upon demons, and demons don't play by the rules. The they rules don't make are, sense. <laughs> yeah, the rules are light and void. All the possibilities... All the, the, the one true path. Because remember, there's the, going back to even Nosdormu with the whole there is one true timeline thing. Mm-hmm. Titans are all about there's one true way to do it. But he couldn't do it that way. The second he runs into demons, he you know I can kill them and kill them and kill them and kill them. And I'm good at it because I'm a titan. I'm the most powerful thing ever. So I kill them and kill them and kill them. What do you mean they're back? I was just killing them. So he kills, them and, right. kills them and kills them and kills them. And they keep coming back. And finally, he's like. All right. He kind of clued in on it and went, okay, no, there's something more going on here that's not. (laughs) You know what, though? And now I'm thinking about this, and I think we talked about this a little bit before, but what also dies and keeps coming back over and over and over and over again and is also linked to a world soul? High player characters. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just serious. Like, what if we have more in common with demons than than we ever thought? Like, oh what God, if... no, don't. <laughs> no, seriously, what if what, we're the abnormality? We are that we are the creation of when light touches dark. Well, I tell you yeah. what, when you're a demon hunter and you, if you die during that whole opening sequence, Illidan pops up in like in like his uh, voiceover box thing and says, "You, you possess an immortal demon soul." 
Yeah, you exactly. Know. Let me let me. Look, look, I was actually still like the Mardoon thing. Yeah, he made Mardoon. He stuck the demons there, and and he and Agrimar started like putting them there. Like, and I, this is when Agrimar joins him. And he and Agrimar are a great team, and they work together. And Agrimar's his friend, and he truly likes Agrimar. Agrimar gets it. Agrimar knows how we can fight these demons. That's why he's so hurt when Agrimar doesn't understand what he does in the Void Planet. But he he goes and he like he makes the vo- he makes Mardoom. He banished the demons there, and he figures it out. It's he's essentially like, Wait a, a giant pokeball, and he's shoving yeah. all his problems in it. And that's where Uthalesh, the Soul Harvester, the the Warlock weapon, the demon. There's a demon named Uthalesh that actually is the most powerful demon that existed at the time. Way more powerful than say, like anybody that was around before him. And he's stuck there too. And so he rules Mardoom. He takes the planet over, uh, and it's their prison inside the Nether. Eventually, Sargeras starts to figure it out. They don't come back if I kill them in the Nether. I can kill them if I do it here. And we see that in this this radio play. Like they say several times that they, they drag them into the nether so they can kill them permanently. Alaria kills a demon in the nether to kill it permanently. So that's still in place, except we've killed demons on Argus, which is supposed to be in the nether. And we, we're told they'll come back in our, in Antorus, right? Because they're using the soul of, yeah. of Argus somehow. So all this comes together. I think what you're looking at here is when he went away from the, from the Pantheon, after he went to them and said, I destroyed the void planet because this stuff's broken, like Ann just said, they were like, no, no, we could have totally fixed it. And he's like, you can't fix it. Agrimar, you've seen it. And Agrimar's like, no, we totally could have fixed it. And he's like, but you saw it. You're my friend. You back me up here. No, Come man, on, you're you totally know wrong. about the Pokeball, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you're, no, you're, you're totally wrong. It wouldn't work. So he goes back to Mardoom. And he's like, emotionally, this is to me the crux of, of, of Sargeras's personality. Emotionally, he's devastated by this. These are his friends. They're he beyond his them. friends. This is his family. Yeah, he loves right? these people. He's given This is up all everything. that he has in the universe. Yeah. So he goes and he smashes open Mardum. And when he does, the fell enters him. That's when it happened. Before that point, the fell wasn't in him. The, the, the energy of the nether was not in him. He knew what it was, but he never felt it. But when he smashes open Mardum, it enters him and he blisters and his skin breaks open and the volcanoes start erupting. And he's literally, if you want to talk about the point in time where he stops being a Titan and that's stops it. being, that's, that's it the right moment, there. And that's the moment where you, you could say he gets free will because fell isn't, all possibilities at all times, everything is true. Neither is it one true thing that we believe in with all hearts. If you want to say that the void is kind of about all the things we know we don't know, then Fell is literally, you didn't even know you didn't know this. You had no idea that this was real. And when he goes and fights the Titans, which he does, that's he, they, they come and find him. They're like, what are you doing? You let the demons out and you're... Agrimar went to that place and confronted you and you ravaged him and you would, you're destroying plants. What are you doing? And he's like, what has to be done? I've seen things you don't understand. And they have their argument back and forth. That moment when he kills Agrimar, he never intended to kill him because he's now he is fell. Now he's it's, it's one thing to kill the demons and see them pop up over and over again. It's another thing to now have that in you. He changes at this point and he, he takes that in. There's really like some messed up stuff going on here because Antorus works and the demons can be rezzed even on Argus with it. 
And Lefraxian even says, you know, I died and my spirit went to Antares. And this is when he's killed outside the nether mm-hmm. and they tortured me there. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here that we still don't know that the radio play doesn't tell us. But one of the things we absolutely know is that Argus is very much it, it's it's everything to Sir Garrus. And there's a reason he went to that planet almost immediately. That isn't just getting the Eridar on his side. Because and that's what I was, th- I was I was talking with you about that before. Like, I think there's more to it because it, there's no way that it was just a random chance that he was like, this is where I went. There had to be another reason. There has so, to be more to it. Um, there's a Titan base I'm, there. I'm going I'm yeah. to interrupt here. I'm going to interrupt here because um, I, I want to interject with a thing and just put oh, that in front of you and let it sit there and see what you guys say about it. This is another thing that I brought up in the tinfoil hat that I wrote. Uh, the Eridar. The reason that the Eridar became the society that they were, the reason that they became so good at the arcane, the reason that they developed so, so, so mu- as much as they did, as quickly as they did, and as powerfully as they did, was because these magical creatures of the light called the Naru showed up and gave them this thing called the Adamal Crystal and said, here, we're going to gift this to you. And once they got that thing... They started incorporating it all over the place and and using it all over the place and and using light magic, even if they didn't know what it was, they were using it to kind of further the advancement of their own society, right? Could it be argued that Sargeras never would have found Argus were it not for the pre-intervention of the Naru to kind of set him on that path? I have another thought along the exact thing you just said. Well, here's, if, here's the reason yeah. why why I, I point to this, because there's kind of some tragic elements involved in here. What happens when Sargeras shows up and offers them all the power in the universe? Velen has a moment where he goes, I don't think this is right. What does he do? He goes and he consults the crystal. And he's told by Inaru, he's told by Cure, who says, hey, yeah, no, this isn't right. And I'm going to help you and anybody like-minded like you. You guys are going to escape. You guys need to come to, like, the highest mountain in an Argus, and I'll get you out of here. And when we see that replay of the moment that they they leave, they get out of there, Velen admits that he begged the Naru to turn around and go back. And the Naru told him, this is not your path, and they wouldn't they wouldn't go back. They took him away. Now, we know, because we've just been told in this story, that the Naru see one true way to do things, right? And Mm -hmm. they make sure Mm -hmm. to execute that one true way. Is everything that happened to the Eridar, is everything that happened to the Draenei, was that all just part of a Naru plan? See, I I really don't... I think because of the statement they made about how the, the Legion has changed the destiny of the universe, I don't think that the Naru started all this because Antorus is Titan. Yes. And that means the Titans were on Argus and they shaped it and they shaped that world soul. They were there and they knew about it, which means Sargeras knew about it. And that means that the Naru feel Titan forged to me. Yeah. I was, thank you. I was going to say the same thing. Okay. And we're, we're really given this idea by this weird idea that Alun made the Naru when the tear of Alun allowed you to communicate with Zira. As yeah. if the, you're, like, and, and not only that, but even the process, like we going back to the the whole light forging thing. Yeah, that is like very much a. T- it's exactly like a storm forge. It's exactly like uh, all of the, the 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 Titan creations that we have out there. 
So it's a very similar process. Do you think that the Naru were a Titan creation, or do you think that the Titans are a Naru creation? I don't think the Titans are a Naru creation for the one reason. That bit with the Emerald Star, when it says it was a force of light drifting through the cosmos right. until it found warmth by a star and the world formed around it. And I, I, every time I think about that, I think about, wait a minute, what if, let's assume for a moment a loon exists as an entity that isn't a Titan. And a loon, we'll put a loon on the opposite side from the Void Lords. The Void Lords hurl blobs of chaos into our cosmos to infect worlds and, and the, the, the uh, <laughs> Titan souls slumbering in them. So a what loon if, flung the Naru. Light shards. No, what if she flung Titans into our world? Ooh. The Titans are combat the chaos. They're like literally like a little loon pieces. They're like, you know, the same thing that the, the old gods are. So do you Titan. think like the Naru and the Titans are kind of like cousins or something? I think the Naru are effectively like either Titan Forge creatures like made by the Titans themselves or directly made by a loon to try and shepherd the light aspect of things. Well, here's my thought. When you said that, my immediate thought was, okay, why do the Void Lords send out the old gods? They send out the old gods to infect these places that have world souls and turn them to the Void. Well, if a loon, whatever a loon is, sent out the Naru to essentially do the same thing from the opposite end of the spectrum, then it would be the Naru going out into the universe, finding these world souls and trying to turn them to the side of the light. And maybe they do, if if she's the one doing that. The other thing that's weird about that, though, is that the Naru are both light and dark. Yes. And they have, yeah. they have that cycle. And that's never been explained other than the idea that, you know, you can't have light without shadow. That obviously Zera was not on board with this idea. Zera didn't want to discuss it at all. Zera certainly didn't want Turalyon to know about it. And Zera was not listening to anything that uh That's because Alaria Zera isn't say. the hand. She's the light source. But other Titans, I mean, other other Naru were totally okay with this idea. Um, Muru was like, I'm going to fall into void, be destroyed, and then turned into a sun well. All right. Sure. Okay. That's part of the prophecy. There's, there's a lot going on here that needs to yet it's still so be unpacked. It's so weird. It's all so yeah. weird. Joe, but do you I have any other think... words about this? Because we need to start wrapping up. No, I mean, pretty much that his, Rossi's hitting all the same things. And this is partially because we talked about this earlier in the week. Um, but these are a lot of the same things that I were coming to. And it's it's endlessly fascinating to me simply because while we've gotten a whole bunch of questions answered, we still have so many more questions as a result of it. I don't know if we're ever truly going to know where the Naru came from. I really don't. We have some good approximations or at least what I think are some good approximations, but I don't think we're ever truly going to, to understand exactly where they came from. But, oh man, I, I it's the same thing. Like it makes your brain hurt. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. A little bit. I'm going to say next time we should probably do an entire show just about Arator so we can get that hour done. Yes. And, and then we can have to have talk about hour. it. Erator at some point. Yeah, yeah we probably. need we need to not just not just for the time discrepancy type stuff, but what was the deal with like did Sylvanas bring him to the Stormwind? Because they're both there. You're gonna tell me Sylvanas doesn't even stop and talk to her nephew. Well, and that's and that's the thing that was never really like answered, right? Like who took yeah, care no. of him really while the, they were gone? And yeah. what like at what point did someone just like Varisa obviously wasn't raising the kid. Was Sylvanas did like or did Sylvanas hire somebody to do it or like, did did Alaria set this up? Obviously, the kid wasn't living in Silvermoon, because if he was... He'd be a I, blood I elf. Yeah, his life would have changed. And he's not um, a blood elf. 
Oh, no, he's not an elf at all. He's, he's half. like a half elf. So yeah, where did they, he go? <laughs> yeah, where was he living during that period of time? There's The only reason I didn't talk during the whole thing about Arator was because I knew if we started going on about Arator too much, we'd be here would, another hour. Yeah. And... Maybe we'll talk about him next week or maybe we'll answer reader emails. Um, obviously, if you have any questions regarding A Thousand Years of War, uh, yeah, you should hit us up because we will happily talk about it. Yes. For a very long time. <laughs> As you can see. We've been going on way over time here, but that's okay. Um, I feel like I feel like the conversation kind of warranted it. Um, but we should probably go ahead and wrap it up. If you do have any emails for us, please send those to podcast.blizzardwatch.com. You can put Lore Watch in the subject line so that you know, or that we know, rather, that it's intended for this show. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys that are listening, Audible is also offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to any of our listeners just to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They do have plenty of Blizzard's Warcraft titles available there as audiobooks, and you can download those as well as many others. Just pick one for your free 30 days at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Um, final thoughts you guys this is another thing that I kind of brought up in um, the tinfoil hat that I did but I feel like I should ask it again of you two because I'm curious about your thoughts on the matter Um, do you think that the light is good and the void is bad Joe no and I think that it and this comes to where the way I look at light and shadow in real life even when I'm painting, the, the 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 rule of thumb is always that they burn the brightest where they're touch, right? And that without either, they can't be defined. But those points where they touch, those points where they intersect, tend to create these most eye-catching, eye-popping moments that draw you in and draw your attention because they tend to be the most beautiful. I don't think either of them are necessarily good or bad. I think both of them just are. They're just primal forces but when they intersect, it creates things of terrible beauty. That was very eloquent, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Rossi, same question. Do you think that the light is good and the void is bad? Let me put it to you this way. What happens to plants if they never get any light? They die. They die. What happens to plants if they get nothing but light? They die. Yeah. Does that make light a killing machine? Like, Does it make darkness purely evil and destroying? No. You can't exist in pure light or pure shadow you with, with that with either of them all dominant there's nothing to be there um to, to use the old uh cabalistic idea the infinite limitless light when it when everything was one thing and all was light there was nothing because there couldn't be anything you couldn't you don't have things without variation you can't have variation if everything is all dark or all light if you don't have things casting shadows you don't get the darkness but then you don't have things uh, the light in in the Warcraft universe definitely seems to be along those lines. It exists, and it's a powerful force for life, but that doesn't make it the only force for life. And the shadow isn't evil just because it wants to be something other than light. That's the point. It, it, the cosmos can't exist without these two forces. With either one of them gone, you have nothing. The Void Lords want the entire universe to be nothing. They want nihilism. They want the destruction of everything. That's not necessarily what Shadow wants. That's what these beings that prefer shadow want. If they got their way, they'd be dead too because there'd be nothing. And they want that. They want non-existence. Light, however, doesn't care that it needs shadow to exist. That's the problem. 
that's shadow's view of the light in this thing changed my my mind on the naru in a way that never happened before because i never really thought about the idea that the light would keep going it wouldn't it's not going to stop when it beats the legion it's not going to stop until nope. everything is light and when that happens nothing we understand can live we can't mortal life will not exist in the in the cosmos they have planned it, it's funny because they you guys were talking about freedom and the shadows sucks about the invisible chains. That's the exact thing that they will cost us mm-hmm. because when all, when all is one true timeline, when all is one true thing and we all know it, we'll know nothing because there won't be any ability to question There won't. And you don't learn if you don't question. No, good. Isn't good. Good. Isn't light. Evil. Isn't shadow. The two forces are not, I think the Velen's starting to learn this. Velen's starting to understand this. The light is still more beneficial than shadow in his worldview, but he understands now that the sh- the light can be cold and hard and merciless, and you can want to get some shade so you don't get burned to death. Okay. So yeah, that was also very take. eloquent. Um, okay, well that's going to go ahead and wrap us up then for this extra long show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We will see you again in two weeks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.